Well, good morning. It is such a treat to be here this morning. I consider it a privilege to be with you. This is the second time now I've been here in a couple months, um, and that's an honor. I'm often busy back at Faith Covenant, so it's nice to have a little change of scenery and change of pace um, myself. For those of you who don't know me, my my name is Shara Rotfold, and I'm the Community Life Pastor at Faith Covenant. Um, I've been in that role for three years now, although my family's been at Faith for over 17 years, which makes us kind of getting old. So <laughs> we've been at Faith for quite a while, um, and I've worked with Rob for a number of years, and I'm just delighted to see all of you here. The very fact that you're here is the result of a lot of prayer um, on behalf of Faith Covenant, um, your partner church, parent church. Um, so we're just thrilled to see you here and working and answering God's call and reaching out to a different population than Faith reaches out to. Um, I was at a graduation party last weekend and met a man whose son has been here a few times, young adult son, and he was just talking about this church and how his son really feels connected here, um, connected with God and connected with all of you. So thank you for that. You are all um, answering God's call, and you are a welcoming place. Um, And that's just one story that I heard in the last week. So um, keep it up. That's fantastic news. Um, And we're praying for you back at Faith on a regular basis. We really are. So we're just delighted to partner with you in a number of different ways. Um, We have an important topic to discuss this morning. This is one that's near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about parenting. Um, As Rob was saying earlier, this is the third um, in a family life series uh, that you've been talking about, and and what an applicable thing to everyone in the room. Um, Families and life and kind of doing life together with people is is central to all of us. Before we get started, though, I need to acknowledge a few things. Um, First of all, I know that not everyone sitting here today is a parent. And for some of you, that may be a painful thing. Um, You may have suffered through some infertility um, for a long time, or maybe you've lost a child. Um, As a mom who's got two kids waiting for me in heaven, I can relate to a little bit of that pain. So that's that's the reality for some of you. Um, Maybe this comes at a difficult time for some of you. Maybe some of you are raising some some children that are really tough to raise right now um, for a variety of different reasons. Maybe parenting is kind of something that you just cringe at and go, oh, that's really a difficult thing, um, a painful thing right now, maybe even heartbreaking. Um, Others of you might find yourself still struggling to heal from wounds that were inflicted um, from the hands or the mouth of your own parents as a child. Um, Maybe those memories leave the word parent, mother or father, a sour or maybe even bitter taste in your mouth. Yet at the same time, there are a number of you here today who with great joy wear the title mom or dad or grandparent. So there's just an acknowledgement that there's a huge mix of people even in in this small room this morning. So wherever you're at today, that's okay. God's got something to say, and it applies to all of us in different ways maybe. Just realize this is a topic that we all share in common, although it might look a little differently. The fact that you're here today in the presence of God and in the presence of this, this group of believers means that you're part of a family. You're part of God's family. You're part of this family. You're part of a church family somewhere. And as simple as, or as complicated as it might be for you, two people did come together at some point to bring you into this world. They may or may not have raised you. They may or may not have parented you, but somebody did. And those people may or may not have shown the love of Christ to you, but somebody did. Or at the very least, you're here today because you're looking for that love. And that's a great thing. So parenting, of course, is this huge, huge topic that we could come at from a bunch of different angles. But what God put pretty clearly on my heart are a couple of simple key questions, um, a couple of broad questions as they relate to family and as they relate to parenting. 
We're going to consider the role that we play both individually and as a family unit and collectively as part of God's family in raising kids. This is a bigger story that we're a part of. Each one of us is one player in God's story, which of course is huge. (laughs) It's a lot bigger than me and you, a lot bigger than my family, a lot bigger than this church, a lot bigger than the covenant denomination that we're a part of, a whole lot bigger um, than we can even fathom. God's story, God's family is spread throughout the earth. It's that multitude that we read about in scripture, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that will gather together, and that's going to be a glorious, glorious thing. So what does it mean to live in, not to mention parent in, the midst of this story of God, in the midst of this huge family. So a quick side note before we run off. I do not claim to be a parenting expert, just so you all know. I don't have all the answers. There's not a quick three-step process that we're going to go over today on if you do these three things, then your children will grow up to be model citizens who will love God and their neighbor. No. Yes, I've studied some child development, I've studied some human development, and I spend a lot of time talking with and listening to and praying with um, families who bring all kinds of different topics, a number of them related to parenting, um, my way. But first and foremost, here today, I am a parent, along with many of you. My husband, Kirk, and I are the proud, imperfect parents (laughs) of two fantastic, imperfect children. Um, Our son, Kyle, will be 14 in September, and our daughter, Erica, is 11. And that makes up our immediate family. Um, We did have kind of a unique parenting experience Um, just over a year ago. We had a teenager from Germany who lived with us for 10 months. Um, She came to us as a 16-year-old and left us as a 17-year-old. And her parents trusted their precious, precious little girl, the baby of their family, with us for 10 months to parent her. And her mom said pretty clearly, consider her your child, I trust you treat her as you treat one of your own children. I thought, wow, and this is from someone I've never even met. So we had a fantastic year. She was actually just back in June for a 12-day visit, and her folks joined her for five of those days in our home, which was a huge blessing for us to meet the parents of this young lady who's so dear to us now. So here's why I'm not an expert, because kids are different. My kids are different than your kids. Families are different. Parents are different. What I can speak to with a little bit of expertise is my children. I know and understand my kids a lot better than anyone here in this room except for my husband does. Um, And likewise, you know and understand your kids a whole lot better than I do. Now, it is important that we're wise to read and to study and to seek the wise counsel of a godly therapist sometimes or someone who understands child development or family systems um, better than we do. Um, This helps us keep a fresh non-emotional perspective, especially when things might get a little bumpy in the road. And it's very true that we need each other, that it takes more than two people to raise a child, and that all of us parents need all the support and prayer we can get. But we need to remember that we are generally the expert on our children. And as we read and learn and study and hear and listen to all kinds of things that other people, believers, non-believers, the world will tell us, we need to to listen with discernment because some of those things may or may not work really well with our kids and most of them probably won't work exactly as written with our children. We often need to adapt things to fit our own temperaments or our kids. Just as my husband and I are different from one another and just as we operate differently as a parenting team than any other parenting team represented here, 
our children are, all, are also quite different from one another. The very fact that Kyle is a boy and Erica is a girl obviously brings a whole bunch of differences. Um, but far beyond even that, they're wired pretty differently from one another. What works for us as we parent them, what works for one of them, doesn't necessarily work at all for the other one. As a result, we parent them differently because they are different. And we parent in the context of relationship. I know you talked about the story of Jacob and Esau last week um, in that context of sibling rivalry. I would say that a key mistake their parents made was to pick favorites. One chose one son, one chose the other son. Not, not something you ever want to do. Our kids need to know that they are equally loved and equally valued and an equal member of the family, whether they're easy to raise or challenging to raise, whether you are wired more naturally in a similar way to one of your kids over the other, um, or you connect more naturally with one or the other. They need to know that they are equally loved. But equal doesn't necessarily mean the same. They are different. Um, and that's why we parent them differently. I remember reading in a child development class years and years ago that no two people have the same set of parents, and that includes siblings for that very reason. That's when we need to treasure each of our kids for the unique creation that they are. So we're going to discuss two really broad questions this morning. Um, we'll at least get the wheels spinning. The first question is why? Why do we parent? Why do we as humans and as followers of Jesus choose to have children? Well, the first answer to that question is pretty easy, and we read it right away in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. We read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number. That means have children. <laughs> so we're charged with the, from the very beginning, we read, with the awesome and very practical tasks of reproducing, having children, and caring for God's creation, tending to it, subduing it. And it takes a multitude to accomplish that task. Now, this task looks and acts very differently today in 2011 than it did in the beginning or even 100 years ago. We know that for much of human history, people were either nomadic um, hunters or they were farmers, literally living off the land in one way or another. And it literally took a large household just to survive in that way. Even in my own family history, as recent as my grandmother, who was one of 16 children raised on a farm in northern Minnesota. It took a bunch of kids to tend to the land, to subdue that land. Very practical. But I'm guessing that nobody in this room, if I may be so bold, is living solely off the land and very practically needs a slew of kids to help with that. Our culture is different than it was. So how does that affect or influence our reasons for having children? Certainly there's more to having children than just survival. So to wrestle a little deeper with this first question, I'm going to share an excerpt from a beautiful paper that comes from our denomination. It's called A Theology of the Child. And I've got a bunch of copies on the back. If any of you is interested in reading it in its entirety, you can grab it on your way out. I'm not going to read it in its entirety to you today. Um, I came across this paper a few years ago, and I am blessed to be able to walk alongside 
young families at Faith Covenant who are choosing to either baptize or dedicate one of their little ones. And I share this paper with each one of them. Um, I just think it's a beautiful, a beautiful way of capturing the biblical purpose for having children. So the author asks a question early on in this paper, and I'm going to ask the same question of you, and it's not rhetorical, meaning I'm going to want you to verbalize <laughs> some answers here. So the question is, and it should be up here, um, what reason would you give why one should be willing to have children? That's a direct quote from him. I would say, why do we have children? <laughs> What are some reasons? Lack of birth control. Lack of birth control. All right. That's a fair answer. Anyone else? What? Carry on the family name. Good. Who else? To share life. Mm -hmm. The way it's supposed to be. You get married and you have kids. Good. Who else? To love another individual. individual. It's amazing. Even if you have a bunch of kids, you never run out of that, do you? (laughs) To increase your dependence on God. (laughs) How many little ones do you have at home, Rob? (laughs) To increase your dependence on God. (laughs) You lost track after two. Anyone else? Brings hope. Good. Well, those are great answers. Um, The author of this article says there was a marriage and family class that he taught at Notre Dame, and he asked his students um, this question, and he got such things, such responses as children are fun, they're an expression of a couple's love, or we heard this one because it's just the thing to do. And he says... Such answers as that show that we lack a moral account of why we commit ourselves to having children. The only reasons the students in his class could give for having children were personal ones, rooted in their own enjoyment of the children or for the children's usefulness to them. Lacking a clear moral account of the reasons for bearing children, he argues, we as a society eventually lack a clear moral account for the family. The family unit becomes, as with children, a matter of convenience and usefulness, In contemporary society, we only need the family because we need intimacy, closeness, a place to retreat to from the violent and ugly world. He argues that without the family and the intergenerational ties involved, we have no idea, no way of knowing what it means to be historic beings. Set out in the world with no family, without story of and for the self, we will simply be captured by the reigning ideologies of the day. And then he says, I think this is beautiful, It is the family, in other words, that tells us who we are, that gives us an identity, a story. To have a child is to say that I believe in more than myself, in more than my own narrow experience, my own limited existence. I have a child because I believe I have something useful to pass on. Whether I'm talking about genetic material for future generations or belief in the God who came to us in Jesus Christ, when I bear a child, I add to the story that I'm telling the story that I'm a part of. He says, in our individualistic age, lacking a moral reason for the family, lacking hope, someone said hope, for the future, we are as likely to expect and want our children to make their own way in the world without our input. It's not unusual to hear some upright and fair-minded person insist that they are not trying to impose their religious idea on their children so that their children can make up their own minds. 
And he says, to bear and rear children for any other reason than to pass on your wisdom and your love of God, your hope for the future, your compassion for the world, is to miss the central moral element of the community, the church, the family, the self. The church says to the Christian parents, your child does not belong just to you. It belongs, first of all, to God. It also belongs to the whole community. It belongs not just to the community in this location or even in this time. It belongs to the community of God's people that's been in God's mind for all of eternity. And he closes here by saying, Christians were not called to have children assured that their children were going to be lovely people, nice folks to be with. Rather, these people were called to marriage and to having children as their obligation. For their children were the pledge to be a community formed by the conviction that, in spite of evidence to the contrary, God rules this world. I just think that's beautiful. This paper was written, kind of, it addresses baptism and dedication of babies, but I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of children and family and God's family and God's story. Children who grow up learning God's story and his word increase the odds that God's story continues. If you don't know the story, you can't pass it along and continue it. Yet it is true that people who don't grow up in a Christian home, who didn't have the benefit of biblical training in the, and the presence of Jesus from a young age, are equally created in God's image and pursued tirelessly by their Heavenly Father. I can think of several friends of mine who didn't grow up in a Christian home, but who heard God's call and answered much later in life and became a part of that story. I'm going to share about one of them in just a little bit. So one final quick note related to this first why question. I am a pastor. I am a shepherd. I am blessed to work at a church and listen to and pray with and talk with a lot of different people about a lot of different things on any given day. But I have this little note on my desk. It's taped on the little drawer that my keyboard sits on that reminds me every day that my primary responsibility is to shepherd the little church that is my family. That's number one. And I need that reminder every day. That little note helps me keep my own perspective and helps keep my focus on my primary work, my at-home work, as shepherd or pastor to my children. And that's a role that each one of you plays in your household, too, if you're parenting kids. So now our second question. How? How do we raise our kids to know the Lord and serve the Lord? How do we do this then? What does it look like? to raise children in the fear and knowledge of God, to introduce our kids to their creator, to impress his word on their hearts. Or as we read in Proverbs 22.6, to start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Or maybe a more familiar translation, train up our children in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, that's pretty simple, right? That's pretty straightforward. So it's pretty easy to read the Bible to our kids. We can pray with them, pray for them. Um, we can make sure they get to Sunday school each week so that someone can teach them God's word, and then we're done, right? Isn't that it? God's word's going to do the rest, and then we can rest assured that they will follow Jesus all the days of their life. Well, no. <laughs> and anyone here who's been a parent more than a year, more than a month, um, knows that. It's not that, that simple. Just think of the culture we live in and the variety of messages that come at us from all over the place, distractions and competing voices, and not just to us, but our kids from a very young age. In order to begin addressing how to parent, 
it's first important that we understand who we're dealing with, who it is that we're parenting, who our children are, really. So if we start at the very beginning of life, our existence as a unique person, we know that none of us chose to be born, right? We didn't choose our parents. What does the Bible tell us about how we came into being? Well, we're told a number of things. We know that each one of us was created by God in his image. We exist because God chose us. He created us. And he's had the days of our lives numbered since before one of them came to be. He's the one who knit us together fearfully and wonderfully in our mother's womb. We are gifted uniquely. We each have a unique temperament, set of gifts and talents, personality traits, strengths and weaknesses. And we've each been created to fill a unique role in God's family, in God's story. We also know that we're each given what we call free will. And that means that God allows us the freedom to make a choice. To either choose to follow him or not. He doesn't force us to love him. Because that wouldn't really be love, to be told that you have to, to not have a choice. Love is a choice. It's a decision. And that's what makes it beautiful and wonderful. We are free to hear the message of Jesus and to do with it as we see fit, as are our children to respond in one of a multitude of ways. And that might include outright rejection for a while, maybe a long while. And this is where we begin as Christian parents. By knowing the truth about who our children are from the very beginning, and by recognizing that they are different than we are, and they have their own path, and they will at some point choose what to do with Jesus. And we need to prayerfully consider that despite our best efforts, they might not choose that path for a while. This is where our trust in God's strength and God's power and in his perfect love for our children, which far surpasses our love for our children, which is hard to believe, make all the difference in the world. So practically, how to parent in light of God's plan for our children. The friend I said I would mention a little later, um, one of my closest friends is Indian. She's from India. Um, Came here for college as a Hindu and finished college. (laughs) She was introduced to Jesus during college, and after quite a process, it was about a two-year process, um, she gave her life to him, married a godly Christian man from Fridley, and they are now raising three children right here in Minneapolis. Um, And they are all three our godchildren, so they're really dear to us too. Now, she didn't grow up in this culture or in a Christian home at all. And we've had many conversations about how do we do How do I do this? How do I raise kids in a Christian home? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. What's age appropriate for my kids? Do I read to them? Do I sing to them? What, are they, what do I give them? Um, and I keep telling her that her relationship with God is the most important thing for her to do in her family. Her kids need to see and hear the difference that God makes in her life daily in the most practical ways. The other stuff like church and Sunday school and prayer and Bibles and music, those are all really important. But their daily life at home is key to the kids. And it's that daily life that God talks about in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And a little further on in that same chapter, beginning in verse 20, we read that, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? You tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, 
and then the story goes on, and the parent tells the story, the history of God and his people. You see what's happening here? How does that parent respond to the why question his son asks him? He begins by telling the story, telling the history, by remembering God's work in the lives of his people to make sure that that history does not die, ensuring that the story continues to be told and continues to be added to. Because even though the Bible is complete as written, God's story is not done. (laughs) It's being written every single day through my life and through your life and through the lives of your children, grandchildren, and the generations to come. Now, I don't know about you, but you can see that I don't have God's word tied on my hands or bound on my forehead. And if you came to our house, you wouldn't see God's word written on our door frames or the three gates in our backyard. We do have a plaque above the front door, though, that reminds us to honor God in our home. (laughs) But that's not the point. Even if we did have God's word literally written all over the place, this alone would not introduce Jesus to our children. Our children need to see in our relationship with God how it affects our practical lives. They say that more is caught than taught. You've heard that. And I have certainly found that to be true. Our kids need to see our faith, our relationship with God, our desire to please him as imperfectly as we will do that. In the middle of the daily stuff of laundry and groceries and bills and cooking and cleaning and errands and chores and the list goes on and on and on. We need to know that our kids are watching us. They're listening in the middle of all those mundane, mundane tasks of life all the time, and they're picking up our attitudes, not just what we're saying, what we're not saying, too. They're noticing and listening. Now, at first glance, that's a daunting, maybe even frightening thing to consider, but it's just plain real life. And through all of that, our kids are learning. Their values and their worldview are being formed. They say that a child's values are largely established by age three values, and that your worldview is largely established by 13. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that something? So does that mean that's all that's left for me to talk to my 13-year-old about is how to practically live on his own, you know, how to do his own laundry, how to pay his own bills, how to do some minor home repairs and and cook? Um, No, (laughs) that's not what that says. What I read in that is that the, real, the reality that by age 13, a child's brain is well-developed enough that he or she is able to pick up on subtleties, to read between the lines, to pick up on moods and nonverbals, to have enough cues to begin to respond to the more complicated things in life on his or her own, independently from his or her parents generating opinions. No, our work as parents is by no means done when they reach their teenage years. In fact, from what I hear from friends who have children who have grown and gone and married and are raising their own children, the work a parent is never done. (laughs) It just changes, and it has to change. You've heard this, that the practical goal of parenting is to give your children roots and then to give them wings, to do our best to give them the skills and the values, the encouragement, those tasky training things, the emotional support and the confidence they need to live on their own. Most important of all, I believe, is to teach them to transfer their dependence from us as their earthly parents to God as their heavenly parent. Because we're not always going to be with them. That's not possible. But God will always be with them. Wherever our kids go, wherever we go, God is there. Wherever they're headed, God has been there. He is their rock and their redeemer, 
the solid foundation for their lives long after they leave the nest. So as we close this morning, it's important to remember that our children don't really belong to us. They're not really ours. They're God's most precious gifts that he has entrusted us with for a time. But they belong to him. And he will pursue them in the most personal, intimate way until they draw their last breath, and only he knows that date. As we raise our kids, our key focus needs to remain on our relationship with God and then on our relationship with our spouse if we're married. And it's in that context, in that story, that we raise kids. So to those of you who are joyfully raising young children, stay humble, stay connected with God and with other believers. Know that you're going to make mistakes along the way and be quick to ask God and your children for forgiveness as needed. Keep looking to God daily for strength and wisdom and hold on to your precious ones loosely, remembering who they belong to and allowing God space to work in their lives and to move in their lives. And if parenting is a painful, dreadful experience right now, stay connected with God and other believers. Seek wise counsel as needed. Stay on your knees and know that you can trust your God and their God to work in their lives. You can ask God to bring someone into your child's life, if that's the case, that he or she trusts who will speak truth and life into your child. And if you're not a parent right now, there's a pretty good chance you will be at some point. But if not, you're equally a part of God's family, and your story and your example are a valuable part of the community that you're a part of. And to all of us here today, we can praise God for this life that he's given us, for these days that he's had numbered from, from the beginning, for the fact that you're here today, for the story that he's continuing to write through your life and through mine, and ask him to help you deepen your daily walk with him, your dependence on him. And I pray that the fact that we are all, every one of us, created in his image, will make a profound impact on how you walk in life with, in relationship with other people, whether they know their creator yet or not. Let's pray. Creator God, Father God, um, you are the lover of our souls. You are the one who chose us from the very beginning, Lord, and we are in awe of that, of the fact that you chose us, Lord, to carry on your name and to carry on your story and to ensure that your life and your truth and your hope in this world, do not die. God, I pray that you'll give us courage um, to do that in the context of parenting, Um, that you'll give us courage, Lord, to tell our story to our children and to tell your story to our children. And give us also, Lord, the, the faith in you to hold them loosely and to trust you as you write their story with them. Father, we give you the rest of this day. May you be glorified today, Lord, through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.